Without any uh, long introduction, um, let's remind ourselves in the machine learning, we train the classifier to learn to separate between two classes. We want to separate two classes, white from the black. You have to think all in high dimensional spaces. And we we cover the decision trees and the random many trees, pretty random forest. Briefly mentioned that there are neural networks, there is Bayes, naive Bayes approaches. Um, and then, uh, then introduced that there is a concept of support vector machines, which essentially is trying to fit a make a linear separation between the two classes. And the linear separation so that to maximize the margin, that the, they're interested in the line that maximizes the margin between the two classes. We can separate the two classes as good as possible. Uh, this is, uh, this as good as possible becomes a, an optimization problem. Which linear plane maximizes the margin? And I wish it would be so simple that we can say that all blacks are on one side and all whites on the other side. It's not the case. We are going to make mistakes. So at the end of the day, it could be also that some errors will be tolerated. Find a plane that separates the two classes as well as possible, tolerating some errors. So it's an optimization problem, and uh, you know, in general, there are these heuristics for optimization for all kinds of uh, for all kinds of uh, simulated. Well, the, the the first ones are simulated and meaning genetic algorithms, uh, different biology-inspired heuristics. But in this case, when we talk about Linear separation, uh, these kinds of operations. In the mathematics toolboxes, there are ways how to optimize uh, for these kinds of linear planes using the data points. Uh, 
So we are not going to do, go into that mathematics. Uh, I have to say that I don't understand all of that mathematics always, but uh, it's possible, right? But now the question that we sort of have is that it's possible for the linear separation. It would be, it would be much harder for arbitrary shapes of the separated planes. Yet, this is of course what, what our data really looks like. Right? You can't see there the linear, uh, linear separation. So this is one uh, topic now, how to, how to apply these techniques into the situation like that. And how it works is that First, this is the real data as it comes in. In this case, x y, well, or x one, x two coordinate. And what we will do is uh, map this data x one, x two into higher dimensions. X one, x two, x three, x five, x infinity. If and hope that this mapping generates us the way that in this higher dimensional space we can use linear separation. And we have already tools for that. So there has to be some sort of uh, mapping. Uh, obviously, this can't be the same dimensions anymore, but in this, uh, in this mapped uh, data universe, we can apply the standard linear separation algorithm. <laughs> so, for example, this is x1, uh, well, x1, x2 uh, for two dimensional space, and if you have this ellipse in here or circle in here, right, it's not linear, obviously. But if we would do uh, from x1, x2, we would uh, make the transformation to z1, z2, z3 in three-dimensional space by taking these original dimensions x1 into x1 squared, x2 squared, and something that combines x1 and x2. If, if we do this mapping, then once we have x1 squared and x2 squared, the unit circle around the horizon, uh, around this uh, origin, of course, is this one plus this one is less than, is exactly radius, right? If it's a circle, okay? from this x1, two, x1 squared, x2 squared, it's a linear combination of these uh, that defines this circle. Or we can say that x1 plus x2 is exactly the radius. X1 squared plus X1 2 squared is exactly the radius. So if you do this mapping, the linear separation is fine. Okay? Now, uh, so there is a an example from two-dimensional space, a mapping to three-dimensional space from X1, X2 to make three dimensions, which would look like this in the original space. Uh, we went from two dimensions to three dimensions. 
Of course, the question is how would we know which uh, which uh, dimensions to generate in here? And uh, if I was so optimistic to say that you can go from two dimensions into infinity number of combinations, how can you generate infinity? Uh, but once we have this higher dimensional space, then linear combination uh, in this higher dimensional space defines the hyperplane. Linear combination of these coordinates defines the hyperplane that is a linear separation. And for linear separation, for the hyperplane, uh, basically uh, knowing each coordinate and the weights. Uh, so basically, we can ask, are we on one side or the other side of the hyperplane? So that is our classifier. Are you on one side plus on the other side minus? And we need to train this on the, on the example data set. So at the end, this uh, classifier, classifier is really just uh, for new input, you do the linear combination with the trained weights, and then you can ask, what is the side of that function? So we can get the classification as side uh, 1, 0, or it depends how you define, is it plus 1, minus 1, just sign of the one side or the other side of the plane. Uh, in this process, it turns out that the uh, scalar product of two vectors is important, so A times B Scalar spaces, scalar spaces, these are dimensional uh, n dimension vectors. So the scalar product is just first dimension times the first dimension of the other, plus second dimension and second dimension of the other, etc. So this vector notation is, is this linear combination or the, the sum of the individual products, right? And it turns out that uh, in these cases, it's sufficient usually to, you can represent this as a scalar product between uh, data points or, or this vector. Uh, so this, what we needed to assign, it's actually, actually you calculate this through the scalar product between the vectors. Now, if we would do the mapping phi from x1 from x space into the mapped into higher dimensions, this remains as a scalar product in these higher dimensions. Just we have mapping from, from R2, we had to into R3 to the mapping, and then we have scalar product in this three-dimensional space. Uh, and what is expressed in here with the, with the so-called kernel function is not the kernel density estimation in here. This kernel means different thing. This is something that allows some way to calculate the scalar product. This is the scalar product that is represented as, as kernel function for scalar product in original space. And we could uh, have another kernel that calculates scalar product in this high dimensional space. Uh, so, in here we have the scalar product, and we have the shorthand of applying some kernel function for the two data points. We need to uh, 
this h1 and x is represented as, as a vector, basically we, we ask the sign of being one side or the other side of the hyperplane. So linear algebra in here involves, but what we care is that, let me see, I need to have this. This is defined as a mapping, so in the map space is z1, z2, z3, and in here, so basically what we care is how can we generate a function that calculates this scale product? And in all the optimization, all, all the training, uh, all the classification, we need only this scale product. Uh, in a way, in a way, this defines the the similarity or distance between the data points, this kernel, the scalar product, is kind of a distance function between the two points. And that's what, at the end, is, is needed. And it turns out that you can apply this for, uh, for different uh, situations. We did not, if our kernel is, uh, is calculating this scalar product in this uh, mapped phi space, then we don't need to calculate this phi explicitly, we just apply this function, and it can be applied for any type of data, uh, and suddenly, voila, our method becomes nonlinear. Linear method becomes nonlinear by applying this different kernel. And very briefly, so if we have one vector x1, x2, and the other vector y1, y2, then what is x times y scalar product? It's x1, y1 plus x2, y2, right? That, that's what it is. Now, what happens if we do the kernel for x and y that is uh, in that short end there, x times y, the scalar product squared. If we take this into square, so what happens if we, if we try to square this? Then we have to square that, right? So what, what will this script look like? That, that will look like x, x1, x2, sorry, <laughs> not that quick. This squared is x1 squared times y1 squared. And that one squared will be x2 squared, y2 squared. What is in here, of course, is this times this once, and this times that once. Two times x1, x2, y1, y2, right? This is school, but like. Uh, so this one squared is this one. And if we now know this somehow are very clever, we would say that if we do the 
mapping from x1, x2 into this space. If we have instead of x1, uh, so if we have mapping of x defined as the vector x1 squared, uh, then this is the tricky part in here. Why do we need square root of 2 x1 x2 and the third one was x2 squared this is the mapping from x1 x2 we say that we generate three dimensions x1 squared this square root and x2 squared right that was on the example if the, and if you do the same for y we have y1 squared square root of 2 y1 y2 by 2 squared, right? What, what happens now if we do x and scalar product to this one? If we do this scalar product between these vectors, it becomes x1 squared, y1 squared, plus two times x1, x2, y1, y2, plus y2, x2 squared, y2 squared. And what is there? Exactly the same. Yeah. So we needed the scalar, we needed this thing, but we don't generate this effect. Instead, we needed this, we have defined this kernel that takes the original scalar product and only squares that. Much simpler to calculate. But this squared thing in here, take the original scalar product and square it, would correspond to the situation if we had generated these three dimensions and made the scalar product in these three dimensions. So we, we did not need to generate this by mapping. I only defined the kernel that was original scalar product squared. So this is called uh, the kernel trick. Uh, we need these scalar products in these higher dimensions. And if we are able to, to define functions that give us these scalar, pro these, uh, scalar products, we are already we can plug it in as a function and apply it in the optimization. Uh, so this is called polynomial kernel. We just squared this, but it can be higher dimensions. Uh, there can be Gaussian or sort of like defined in different ways a function. These kernel functions in here, x and z, but x and uh, y as I draw in here. Uh, sigmoid, sort of like different functions defining that, defining this scalar product, which essentially is one way to calculate the distance. So there are different kernels that you can define. And you can define kernels for uh, string objects, for graphs, nodes, etc. We just need one uh, polynomial, the simplest curve. Turns out that you can combine kernels. Once you have one kernel, you can multiply it with a constant, you can add a constant, 
You can add two kernels together. You can multiply two kernels together. You can uh, basically use almost any function and make the scalar product of these functions. Uh, and this is a linear separation of the data. That's how we get this arbitrary shape. If the kernel is right, it allows to do this. This is a this is a hyperplane, linear plane between the arrays. So. Uh, Linear at the end of the day is not so bad because we can, with a linear, we can actually do uh, quite cool uh, separation planes. So, in a way, from this space, it's mapped to some virtual higher dimensions. You, you don't need to see that, but in here, just for illustrative purposes, it's visualized. If the data is separable, uh, then it's separable by, by linear. Uh, classifier in some high dimensional space, and all that we was needed was this kernel trick to plug into the optimization functions, kernel functions. In here, it, it was original uh, scalar product squared, and uh, uh, this ML demos toolbox that you can all download to your computer, you can play around. Uh, draw these different points. You can apply different classifiers there and see how the how the separation planes uh, how does it learn to classify between the different points. Uh, so and that's what you see the support vector machine. It tries to fit the maximum margin between <coughs> the data points. Uh, it's linear, but uh, it's linear. And uh, it optimizes using these kernel tricks. And uh, to allow for these errors, there are these different ways how you take into account how many mistakes you do. And you can plug in the kernel to make it non-linear really. Uh, OK, then we have different classifier types now. And what you can, of course, try to see, uh, try to attempt to do is you can try to see how the Bayes, instance space methods, logistic regression, rules and trees, support vector machines, decision for about these random forests, try to approximate these functions. Right? This is clearly that, well, this is defined the area that should be learned, uh, the, the red from the green, different uh, cases. How do the different methods cope with these kinds of training examples? Well, this is the true class in here. So how do we test? We can randomly generate samples that we know already the label. If we sample randomly here, that was the green, that was red, that was green, that was red, that was red, that was green, we get the number of samples. How many, sam how many training samples do we need to try to approximate this? These areas, convex shapes, uh, 
in here these are disjunctive many many things there is uh, uh, non-convex shapes you can you can attend so you, you don't see that very well but if you're there are, you have to be very close there are some green dots and some red dots relatively sparse not too many 400 points in here and how the different kernels for support vector machines allow to define these areas. So you can see, see this support vector machine with the radial basis function kernel 100, whatever the parameter in here, actually defines these areas as the, the red. From these points, learns this. Uh, and for different, uh, for different, uh, yeah, 400 points, and in here there is 500 points. So how many data? If you generate data, you can generate that artificially. So go from 400 to 500. Uh, how how the different kernels perform in these cases? You can see that not everything is very well learned, but you can compare. What is this in here? Uh, uh, AB tree, random tree, random forest. Uh, I can't see that. Different machine learning methods on the same data, how they would learn which types of areas, to separate which types of areas from the, from the rest. Uh, so in this case, you, well, in this way, you can also uh, see how well the classification has happened. Um, if there are not enough green points in here, sample, of course, you don't recognize that, that this is actually Gary. Okay? So that was, uh, uh, this is available on, online, machine learning, whatever, ML gallery, if you Google for that, uh, you should get ML gallery, you should get that. In Python, uh, scikit learn, uh, is one of these uh, Python uh, toolboxes that has lots of different classification, regression, clustering methods built in. If you use Python and NumPy, then you can use this uh, this toolbox, and it has kind of similar uh, similar uh, training examples. What happens if you have these, in this case, red and blue dots, and what would be the areas learned by different methods in this case? Uh, naive Bayes, uh, Ada Boost, uh, Random Forest, Decision Tree, uh, Radio Basis Function, Support Vector Machine, Linear Support Vector Machine, just K nearest neighbors methods. Um, okay. So you can use VECA, you can use, uh, well, Emma, uh, Emma Demos was this toolbox where you can, uh, on your desktop, uh, just visualize your algorithms. In R, there are built-in uh, functions. The SIGIT, uh, science kit uh, learn, of course, should be in here. So you can uh, try all of those, or try the one that you feel easier to start with. There should be enough, enough examples and code available. I think this is another one, ML5, machine learning Python. It's different from the SIGIT learn, but Basic principles are the same. Okay. Um, now I think I have to go over. Um, 
I had to uh, really check the clock. Um, machine learning in general is not possible. All that we teach in here is kind of impossible in general because if you have X and Y form combination, what is the value of this? What is the value in here? For, for every combination, the number of different functions that you can have in here is infinity, right? So machine learning is possible if, if we make some assumptions that the data is from certain distributions, there is underlying true function that we try to do, but, but in general, say that in arbitrary functions would be learnable, is not possible because there is too many arbitrary functions and, and every function can, can put any, just you have a different function by just changing one label, right? New function, mathematically. So, some, well, the machine learning methods make, make uh, compromises. Uh, they make uh, assumptions under, about underlying uh, data, they, they, make, they fit only certain types of uh, classifiers, limited search spaces. Uh, in general, machine learning is kind of uh, not uh, entirely possible because you win in some things, you lose in others, etc. And, uh, and really we, we learn from existing data but we want to predict the future data so the future data should be similar of the similar properties. So what is the best, how do you learn? You, you, you went through this regression method. Let's learn the regression function in here. Or learn the function. Is it with enough polynomials you can fit in every point in time? You can train hard and fit in any, any point. Uh, this is what we do in this kind of machine learning. Uh, if we make the linear separation, uh, well, this one just makes one training error, but uh, in the classification, it would mislabel these parts, right? We try to optimize, uh, well, we train by trying to minimize these mistakes in the training phase, but what we really kind of want to optimize for is this to be as small in the area of the future mistakes. And uh, we fit all, in a way we fit the space of all kinds of linear classifiers and the question about theory is which one will minimize the future errors. Um, so basically this generalization error uh, is the question. And uh, that's what, what the machine learning theory really tries to also deal with. What, what, is, it, what is the true learning uh, capability and uh, what, what, are we, what do we really need to uh, optimize for? And we, when we start optimizing, we get very quickly into empty, complete uh, area. So we do, again, compromises in applying different heuristics. Uh, and with, with the data, we can easily overfit. So this is only one dimension data. If the classifier is, if x is larger than 3, then 1. Otherwise, zero. So, uh, zero, zero, one, one, zero. So, 
turns out that this function is very good, right? This perfectly classifies the five examples. Uh, so how did I know that this function works? If I was just given this one function and I test that it worked perfectly, that's kind of fine. But if I would be arbitrarily able to choose anything, I can try millions of things to classify five items. One of those will classify five items of the training case. Uh, so basically, we, when we have the hypothesis space that we can fit in millions of uh, classifiers, then the chance that one of these matches perfectly the data is actually very high. And hence, we, the chance that we overfit the data. Uh, so if we start overfitting, the error becomes, starts growing. Uh, ideally, we want uh, small errors. So if we keep training harder and harder and harder, we make less and less mistakes in, in the training space, at some point we start to lose in the prediction ability. So somewhere there is a sweet spot that we have we don't need to squeeze the last out of the training data, but this is kind of the optimal place for, for the future prediction error. Um, and uh, we could think of this training harder and harder, trying to fit a, a line or uh, uh, quadratic, cubic, fourth dimensional uh, function, etc. Eventually, we can fit everything in the function. But again, this is a regression example, but the, the case is that if our simple function would approximate quite well, then we should stick to the simple function, because then the hypothesis space was actually smaller from where we improved that. And if we uh, fit very hard, then we get into these lots of trouble in trying to work too hard in the cases that are insignificant for the classification itself. So overfitting is a real problem in, in machine learning. Okay, um, so that's what machine learning theory really uh, tries to address, and in many cases it's uh, possible to learn because the functions are relatively, uh, they are not entirely random functions, so we try to learn something that is not random, right? Um, and I think that kind of summarizes at the moment machine learning and all these different things are needed in, in scientific data analysis. Well, this is number plate generation, but, but now you know that the very hot topic is all the self-driving cars that learn from the data. You can't program the if-then-else rules so easily to the self-driving cars. They are really trying to observe the images around and, and also machine learning involving these self-driving cars. And the deep learning uh, does lots of uh, lots of advances in this image uh, image anal analysis, image recognition uh, over the last years. Any questions at this stage? So in this course, we covered very very briefly this topic. But luckily, well, we do have this machine learning course somewhere in there, and if that goes into more technical details in that, I would really encourage you to, to study the machine learning. Yeah. So the main idea is that uh, 
Machine learning can work only when you know what the data is about. Uh, in a way, yes, but that's also true in most of the cases. You assume that uh, tomorrow is uh, somewhat similar to the, today, right? It's not totally random new morning start. You're still the same person, you have still the same skills, etc. Your behavior is still the same. Some things are stable. And purely random occurs very seldom in the real nature. So we want to find the regularities in the data. It's not just only random functions. Okay. Um, And finally, and last in the course, we talk about business. So lots of theory, 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 lots of uh, different uh, how to think about data, etc. But now we now we talk about uh, some of the most traditional business uh, use cases, where you have the data, and you need to analyze that from the database. Uh, and we need to analyze it from the database and quick and online actions you want to make queries, you want to make quick answers, you, you want to do online analysis of data by just, in a way, just visualizing data. Right? And uh, we need to build uh, data warehouses and what, what you kind of do is, uh, it's called business intelligence, but really getting intelligence about your data, about your own business, or possibly about the business of some others. So you want to have intelligence information about your, how your business is performing. And the, the theoretical concept that we are, uh, we learn from here is data cube abstraction. It's a data cube abstraction, which is the basis of this online analytical process. Uh, how many of you have tried uh, you know, the pivot table, what the pivot table is? One. Uh, you have, you are just so shy. It's, everybody of you has that in the Excel. The pivot tables in Excel are kind of an approximation of what is this data cube abstraction. And uh, we want to put data into the databases so that we can analytically online process the data, query, we have to design for the data analysis purpose, the data schema, and that's what we, we designed that uh, schemas for the two-dimensional data. We model the underlying data models, and we learned the star data schema model and snowflake schema model. It's a relational database schemas. Uh, So, 
in this artificial intelligence or this machine learning, we kind of try to learn something or make decisions. But business intelligence is somehow just visualizing the goal to, to tell their user something that they can make the right decisions. Um, I, I'm, I'm just skipping some of the stuff, the stuff that I have already said. Uh, typical, of course, is the, the, the shop example. We talked about these uh, shopping baskets, but what you really care is how much do you, do you sell, uh, which, uh, how the products go, uh, weekly basis, quarterly basis, annual basis. You want to summarize, you want to count things. And, and that's kind of counting uh, exercise. Um, so in the, in the operational database, what do you do? In the operational database, you do transactions, online transactions. You book the flight, you make the sales uh, event, you, you're optimized for the speed of the transaction, and uh, at home city of that transaction, all the, all the ACID properties of these databases. You design the database to react to the transactions. But that data model is meant for transactions. We need to analyze data. And that's why usually you, we do this export of the data into the analysis database. We export, transform, and load into the analysis database where we do the <coughs> online analytical processes, and that's where we do the analysis. Data can come from different databases. Your huge uh, enterprises may have tens or hundreds of different databases. You want to bring all these together into something where you can analyze that. Uh, imagine going through all the mergers and acquisitions and merging different businesses together. They still have slightly different business rules. It's complicated. Uh, you don't want to replace every software system. You have legacy software. You have new stuff, stuff. Combining data from different sources into something where you can do the analysis is important. And of course, there is still some unstructured data everywhere. We need high quality data, and, and the rules how the data is generated kind of also change slowly. So in this export transform load, you have to take into account how, how the business rules have, uh, have changed over the time. Okay, uh, so we, in the beginning we talked about data cleaning, transformations, aggregations. So these are all part of this extract, transformation, and load or ETL process. Uh, so these are this is the way how we think of traditional uh, databases that we let's handle the loans, let's handle the savings accounts, let's handle the data about bank cards or, or uh, some other operational stuff. But when, when we start bringing the data into analysis, we need to think about customer, right? Customer, 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 how can we analyze the customers or our vendors or product specific, activity specific, somehow this is, uh, this is application that many users use, but this is something where we need to analyze subjects of the, or data subjects. So basically there are fewer analysts addressing that, uh, doing this kind of analysis. And we need, all this for decision making. So, online trans transaction processing or transaction processing happens in all these applications that, that you know how to build. But from all 
these sources we need to transform, load into data, big data warehouse or smaller data marks. Data marks is a concept where this is a huge warehouse, and then we make small marks for specific uh, topics, uh, or perhaps something, some uh, conversion of the data for visualization, or for <coughs> applying some data mining rules, or doing this online analytical processing that you are currently approaching. So this is transactions, and this is analysis. And at this end, we need to consume or use the data. So here we design for different new functionality. So you design new functions, but here you really want to understand different uh, aspects of, about your data. Your profits, of course, is important, or, or costs, how to reduce costs and maximize profits, or make key performance indicators in, in the product. Okay, um, I will not read the slides, you can read all this at home. Transaction processing does transactions, as I mentioned, and analytical process processing needs to, but uh, in here the small transactions, they have to be very fast response times, but for analytical processing, you need to access lots of data. And of course, you want to do that fast. But you need to go through lots of uh, data. So the question is how to make that, these queries efficient. If you make very large queries, of course, there are Computations can take uh, many seconds or, or even minutes. But minutes is still bad, of course, for executives, but in a way, it's, you can afford longer calculations. Uh, okay, and then, so the process is really that you have your transactional database uh, that supports all these different, uh, tech, uh, well, uh, different uh, needed techniques. Your transactional databases are normalized. Uh, for, uh, for analysis purpose, we can denormalize the data as long as it saves our uh, serves our purpose to do fast queries. Uh, in the analysis, of course, we want to reproduce uh, things and uh, all these standard database concepts like obesity, consistency, isolation, durability of data. Uh, it's in the transaction database, but we want to do analysis. Um, and we don't need to do analysis over what happened in the last second, right? It's enough for yesterday or for last month. So we have the process that occasionally fills in the analysis database and we analyze uh, those data. And to the end user, some visual dashboards are generated where they can uh, look at different aspects of the, about the data, get the different views, look at the nice charts in different ways, visual, uh, visually the data. Okay, so in, in order to understand this, we now do need to do this uh, 
what is the basis for this kind of analytical processing? And it's the data cube abstraction. So first, we look at the pivot table, and then we, very, simple, very similar concept, we do the data cube. Uh, okay, um, I think I have this, I, I'd rather do that online. Uh, look at this table. This summarizes the uh, different purchases in uh, regions, shops, what has been purchased, what category, uh, what producer, date, amount of sale. Right? These are expensive items, so this is how to summarize information. So what do we want to get out from this data? What is the first thing that you would like to get out? Uh, I, I am in trouble now. Let me see. Uh, 